Pastor Xavier Reese with words of encouragement and the hope that is still to come. All of a sudden we come into the holy month, the blowing of trumpets, a, a, a ram's horn, declaring the new moon and the holy month. This feast is celebrated at the gathering of the church in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17 is very clear. In the moment and twinkling of the eye, the church will be caught up in the air and we shall be with our loved ones forevermore in the Lord. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. People are in constant search for answers, for purpose, but unfortunately too often they're looking in the wrong places. Today, Pastor Xavier helps us find the answers that we're looking for, the answers that lead to eternal life. Let's join him as he takes us back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, for today's encouraging message, The Jewish Feast. Leviticus chapter 23 is um, a list of the Jewish feast. The fourth feast is found in verses 15 through 22. Feast of weeks, sometimes called the Feast of Pentecost. It commemorated the second harvest of the year, the summer harvest. Verses 15 and 16 says, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaves of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Notice the date, 50 days after the Passover. This was the summer harvest. We've already mentioned the spring harvest. This is the summer harvest. It is the second of three that are mentioned. Notice the this feast was consummated at Pentecost. Fifty days. What a coincidence. The law was given to Israel at Sinai. The corresponding fulfillment is the Holy Spirit was given to the church. When? Fifty days after Passover. And so here you have the parallel. You have commemoration and here you have the consummation of that feast. It was at Pentecost. It was at Pentecost there that the church was birthed. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. Jew and Gentile alike were to hear and to enter the kingdom of God now. Notice in verse 17, it speaks about two wave loaves. Why two? Because at Pentecost, Jew and Gentile became one. The church was to be made up of Jew and Gentile. In Acts 2, you have primarily Jews. And then in Acts 10, you have the Gentile coming in through the preaching of the gospel to the house of Cornelius. And so you have two sticks that Jesus speaks about in the gospel of John. The two will be made one, Jew and Gentile. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's speaking about the Jews. But notice also in verse 17 that leaven is present. Why should leaven be present if it symbolizes sin? Because the church is made up of sinful people that have been redeemed and forgiven by the grace of God. We're not perfect. We still have sin nature, don't we? But we have the power of the Holy Spirit that we don't have to dedicate our lives to sin any longer. And so Christ having died for me, God can accept me even as a sinner with sin nature because I have repented and God has filled me and now I live by the power of the Holy Spirit. I no longer practice sin, but now I live unto righteousness. 
And God sees me as his son in the place of his son, though I still have sin nature. Because when he said on the cross it is finished, he meant it. Nothing else has to be done. No amount of work. You don't have to sign your name to any church. You don't have to give money. You don't have to sell. You don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. For whosoever will come is the invitation. What's the conditions? Repentance, a turnaround from sin towards God that he may touch your life and deliver you from the bondage of sin. This is celebrated our receiving Christ Jesus and his Holy Spirit. The minute we accept Christ Jesus, then our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us that we are to be filled continually, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we cannot live for God. We cannot live unto God. We cannot please God. We couldn't do it through the law because of the weakness of the flesh. God did it by sending His only Son and allowing the power of the Spirit to enable us to live the life of Christ. That's a total dependency upon Him over and over and over again. And so you have there the Feast of Pentecost. Also, Nakal, the Feast of Weeks. Interesting that God added 3,000 to the church. At Mount Sinai, 3,000 were killed as they worshipped the idol. What a coincidence. You see, there's the parallel. The one was an actual account at Mount Sinai giving of the law, and that the fulfillment was the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. You see, in the Old Testament, nobody was filled with the Holy Spirit all the time, continuously. Not all of God's people were. Only special people who were selected as priests or kings or prophets had the Spirit of God come upon them. But the Bible says the Spirit of God is given to the church. Without having the Holy Spirit, you're not a child of God. It is the Holy Spirit that bears witness with your spirit and mine that we are the children of God. It is the Holy Spirit of God that leads me, teaches me, guides me, and convicts me of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that opens my eyes to understand the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that puts a desire in my heart to please God and do the things of God and to even desire to be a vessel for God. It is not a natural response of our sinful nature. It is a miracle by the grace of Jesus Christ. There is a fifth feast. It is the Feast of Tabernacles in verses 23 to 25. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, I speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, you shall have a uh, Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Feast of Trumpets commemorated the announcement of the Holy Month. Now you're going to notice that there's a transition here. The first four feasts primarily was fulfilled and dealt with the church. They had their primary beginning with Israel, but they had its fulfillment in the church. Now all of a sudden we come into the Holy Month, October. The Feast of Tabernacles is the first. The blowing of trumpets, a, a, a ram's horn, declaring the new moon and the Holy Month. And now he is focusing upon Israel. Though there will be an overlap on some of these. It marked the end of the agricultural year, according to Scripture. 
There's an interesting scripture in Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20 that says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Some of you have heard the gospel through spring and through summer. Here we are in fall, we're good into winter, and you're still not saved. You keep putting off salvation. You keep hearing the gospel. You keep convincing yourself that you don't need forgiveness of sins. You're a good moral person. And sin has deceived you. And yet the gospel comes to you once again by the grace and the mercy of God. Some of you have heard the gospel. You've committed yourself to the gospel, but you are not living an unleavened life, but you're dwelling in sin. You refuse to make a turnaround. And by coming to church, you think that's going to make it right. It does not. By giving money, it does not. The Bible says that if you don't walk in the light, then you walk in darkness and you lie and you do not have the truth and you make God a liar. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. As I fall short, I confess, I get right with God. But grace is never a license for sin. For Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Perish the thought. God forbid. How should we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? And yet I tell you, as certain as you're sitting here, that there are countless of people who go to church and study the Bible and who are even involved in ministry and who are continually involved in a life of sin in spite of the warning. Remember, Ezekiel says, Why will you die? Won't you turn? I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he warns, he says, If that wicked man does not turn from his evil ways and he dies in his sin, he's eternally lost. If that righteous man who's done all kinds of righteousness and he gets caught up in sin and he does not turn back to me, his righteousness will never be acknowledged. And he shall perish. Be careful you're not living under false assurance and false security that you made an altar call three years ago, that you were used tremendously by God one time. Are you in the light? Are you walking in obedience? If you're not, and you die in your sin, none of your righteousness will ever be mentioned. And you will die in your sin. Read Ezekiel. Read it very carefully. You say, well, Xavier, that's Old Testament. We're not under law. Then you better turn to Acts chapter 20, where Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I have preached to you the full counsel of God, and I am innocent of the blood of any man. Kind of heavy. You better be in a Bible-teaching church, a Bible-reaching-out church to the lost. And be busy for the kingdom, doing your father's business. Occupy till I come. This feast is consummated the appearance of the Antichrist. It's a good parallel in the removal of the church. Remember, it focuses primarily on the Jew, the trumpet of the holy month. The church is the restraining force that is keeping back the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7 says, Paul says, don't you not know? When I was with you, I told you that he who now lets will continue to restrain until he is taken out of the way, and then the Antichrist will be revealed. The Antichrist will appear. You find that in verse 8 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 4, verse 1 of the book of Revelation. What happens at the same time? The church is removed from the earth. 
So you have the church being removed, you have the Antichrist walking in, right on a white horse, a bow with no arrows. He doesn't need to shoot one arrow. Why? Because he conquers through diplomacy. A white horse, symbolic of peace, false peace. When they say peace and safety, sudden destruction has come upon them, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3. What are we hearing today? Peace, 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 safety. And so the Antichrist will appear, but the church will be removed. Now, I'm not looking for Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I don't know where you stand eschatologically, whether you believe in mid-trib or post-trib, but I believe in pre-trib. I believe I'm going to get out of here. That's not a cop-out. That's just a promise of God. God has not appointed me to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this feast is celebrated at the gathering of the church in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17 is very clear. We shall not sleep. We shall be raised. In the moment and twinkling of the eye, the church will be caught up in the air and we shall be with our loved ones forevermore in the Lord. We cannot precede, go before those who have died in Christ. Why? Because it's pretty hard to beat someone who's left before you. But we will meet the entire church. And so the Feast of Trumpets. The sixth feast is the Feast of Atonement. The great day. It commemorated the forgiveness of Israel's national sin. As we remember, we saw that in Leviticus 16. The date was October the 10th, Yom Kippur. The day of atonement, the day of covering. It was a day of affliction and sorrow, verse 27 tells us. Every other holiday, every other feast was a joyous feast, celebration. This day was to mark a day of sorrow and affliction because it had sin in mind. Whenever sin is in mind, we should learn to mourn and to weep after a godly sort so that we give evidence of that by a change of our life. If we only cry and we have sorrow in our life, but there is no change of life, then your repentance is only repentance that brings forth death, as Paul the Apostle declares in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. There is a repentance that brings forth death. You do something, you get busted for something, you make a bad mistake and you cry and you sorrow, but after the tears are gone, you go on right with your life doing the same old thing, if not worse. But the godly repentance is you see yourself as you are for the first time, a sinner separated from God, and God by His grace allows you to see that, and you say, Lord, cleanse me from sin, and you turn to Him, and you abandon your sin, and you live unto God. There is godly repentance that we don't repent over. We're glad we repented. We don't regret that we repented. We're glad. The consummation of this feast will take place when the Jews will look on him whom they have pierced. The Jews do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They missed him. He came to his own and his own received him not. They crucified him because he made himself out to be the son of God. And they said that he blasphemed. The prophets announced it, Zechariah 12, verse 10, chapter 13, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 6. They will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they'll say, where did you receive these wounds? He says, I received them in the house of my friends. And they will weep as one who mourns for their only son. And then in that day, God will be merciful unto Israel, even as the apostle Paul affirms this in, Re in Romans chapter 11, specifically verse 26, when all Israel will be saved. Who are all Israel? All those who trust in the Messiah, not everyone who's just a national Jew. 
just like everyone in here is not the church. Only if you repented from your sin and you've been forgiven by the blood of Christ, then you are part of the church. And so we must make the distinction of those who are physically present and those who are spiritually sons and daughters. And we must never mistake in that. And so all of Israel will be saved. The Day of Atonement. National sin will be removed from Israel. The greatest of sin, they rejected their own Messiah. It will be celebrated during the Great Tribulation and the Second Coming of Christ. Remember, the Antichrist will come in. He will have all the solutions, all the programs. He will help them to build their temple. But in the midst of those seven years, he will cause the daily oblation to cease, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, flee to the wilderness, Matthew 24, 15. That's the same thing as the, the, the sacrifice to cease in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And he will walk into the temple and declare himself to be God. And then Israel will flee. And Zechariah says that two of three Jews will die as they run for their lives. That is a tremendous miracle. You know why? Because the Jews today know if they leave their homeland, they're dead. And they say, we will never leave our homeland. Well, I've got news for you, Israel. You will run for your life and two of three Jews will die. And then as Christ returns in the second advent, and we return with him, Israel will cry out to him. And he will save them. The Feast of Atonement, the great day. Notice that these, beginning with the trumpets, deal with Israel. They center on Israel. Still future. The last one is the Feast of Tabernacles. Verses 33 down to 44 at the close of the chapter. He says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying... The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days for the, to the Lord. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And for seven days you shall offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day they shall have a holy convocation. And you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work on it. Here, this feast of tabernacles is consummated and commemorated, or actually commemorated first, in the ingathering of the agricultural year. Verse 39 says this, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And so here you have it consummated at the ingathering of the agricultural year. Deuteronomy 16 verses 13 and 15 give you greater detail. Here you have the end of the year. Remember, it's also the beginning of the civil calendar. The date's October 15th. Verse 34 tells you that. Verse 3 through 4. And also the duration is seven days. It says it there also in verse 35 and 36. The only other feast for seven days is what? Unleavened bread. Here you have it at the end. It's consummated when? At the millennial kingdom. It's dealing with Israel. We are a bride who is looking for a what? Heavenly kingdom. Israel is looking for what? An earthly kingdom. Israel was promised an earthly kingdom. Has she fulfilled that covenant? No. 
She has never occupied all the land that was promised to her. Will she? Absolutely. When? During the millennial kingdom. When Jesus reigns on the earth and he espouses the wife back to himself. It represents the millennial kingdom. It will be the only feast that is celebrated, coincident, during the millennial kingdom. Which one? The Feast of Tabernacles. Zechariah 14 through 16 tells us that. It says if they don't come to Jerusalem, they will receive no rain. It is during this feast that they were to spend seven days in booths outside with enough room for the wind to come in, enough room to see the stars, to remind them of God's protection and deliverance during the wilderness march. It was during this feast that Jesus celebrated it in Jerusalem in John 7. And every day they would celebrate. On the last day they would get a bucket or a pitcher, go down to the pool of Siloam, come back, and they would pour the water in the porch of the courtyard of the temple. Proclaiming that God provided water in the wilderness for them, but that no longer God had to provide for them, for they were in the promised land. As they did that, it was in that day that Jesus rose to his feet and he cried out, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. For out of his innermost being shall gush forth tarns of living water. They must have all looked around and said, What the heck is he talking about? What was Jesus saying? Israel, you're still thirsty. You've missed the living water, me. You will thirst until you see me again. On the eighth day, the number of new beginnings for Israel. Interesting. And so it will be in that day that it will be fulfilled and they will tabernacle with God and God himself will be the tabernacle. We will reign with him during the millennial kingdom. Israel will be occupying the kingdom. During that time, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. But even though it is a beautiful heavenly paradise in a type, and Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron, and Satan is bound, man is still sinful. He just can't exercise it because Satan is bound and Jesus is reigning. And at the end of those thousand years, God will let Satan loose again and he will lead his last rebellion. And do you know what? A lot of people will follow Satan. So much for the sociologists that you are what your environment is. All we need is a good environment and people and kids will grow up to be just good moral citizens. Oh yeah? So much for that concept. The millennial kingdom puts it to rest. We are sinful, we are deceitful, we are wicked. And unless we turn from our ways, we will never see the kingdom of God. And so here you have, through these seven feasts, the Jewish feast, a prophetic calendar. Now, Passover has been fulfilled. Pentecost has been fulfilled. The first fruits. What are we waiting for? Hey, we're waiting for the trumpet to blast. When that trump sounds, we're going up and Israel will become the focus of God. Seven years. When I was born again in 73, I thought we were really close. I never thought I would see 1980. The 80s came, I never thought we would see 1990. Here we are. I'm waiting for Jesus Christ. I hope you are too. God reveals everything in His Word, even in types. Here's a religious calendar which goes hand in hand as a prophetic calendar for God's plan for the world.
Where do you fit in? Are you born again? Have you repented from your sins? If you haven't, God is here to meet you, to make you a son or his daughter. Pastor Xavier Reese with a gentle reminder about the need to become a child of God. And you can request a copy of today's study, The Jewish Feast. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. And this also contains what Pastor Xavier shared with us last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is The Jewish Feast, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. Are you tired of people who let you down? Next time we're together, Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the one who will always remain true. That's right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 